Good morning. My name is Mark Bates. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we look at our passage, just a couple of quick things, uh, again, about mops. Every year, uh, just about, we've seen uh, women come to faith through our mops program. Uh, one year, I think we had like 10 women in that group uh, came to faith. I would hate uh, for some of those who don't uh, yet uh, know Christ our Savior not to be able to come uh, because we don't have enough volunteers. So if you are at all able, please, uh, please uh, help out so that we can serve uh, women in our community. And um, uh, there's something else I was going to say, but I just forgot, and so that's okay. Uh, we'll, we will move on. Uh, we are in a, a year-long uh, series on prayer, but we're taking a detour uh, this week. We're going to get back on track next week. Next week, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. And a fascinating thing about Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel is praying for something God has already said is going to happen. And so the question that we're going to be dealing with, among many questions there, is if God already knows, if God's sovereign, if the future is already in God's plan, then why bother to pray? And that's one of the questions we're going to deal with. And I imagine many of you have had that question. I've had that question. And so I have a week to figure out the answer and come back next Sunday. So let's, we'll be looking at that in Daniel chapter 9, but it is a great passage. Now, last Sunday... Many of you in your communities filled out these generosity surveys. Thank you for taking the time to do that. If you have not uh, had a chance to fill it out, uh, we emailed it out as well, and you can do it then. Uh, but in those surveys, the vast majority of you said that generosity is an important aspect of your faith, that it is an act of worship. And, and that's how it is meant to be for us. You know, you, you long to honor God, and you know that giving is one of the ways that, that, that we do that. And most of you said, I, this was interesting, most of you said that we don't talk a lot about money at Village 7, and many of you said we ought to uh, teach more about finances. And so uh, that brings us to Haggai uh, as well. And uh, while I don't uh, know what anyone gives, I do receive statistical reports on the church's giving. It's one of the many, many things we look at in evaluating church health. And uh, our giving is very consistent. This is a very generous congregation, well above uh, the national average uh, as far as, as giving, as far as we can tell. We don't know what people make, but it seems to be that. And uh, while, though, while nearly everyone uh, has a source of income, not everyone gives, which is interesting. And about 20% of our people make up about 60% of the giving. And uh, of course, you can't tell how generous a person is by how much they give, because for somebody, giving $100 is going to impact your life this week in a very significant way. A Warren Buffett drops a million dollars, he doesn't even stoop down to pick it up. It's not going to change his life. And so, you know, it, it, there are a lot of factors that go in uh, to determine whether or not a person is generous. But from the statistical data, just from understanding our community, uh, as well as your answers to the survey, it seems like generosity is an area uh, where we can grow and where many of you said in the surveys you want to grow. And so that brings us to Haggai. And Haggai, uh, in this opening chapter, shows us that giving is not merely a matter of budgeting. It's ultimately an issue of faith, an issue of trust. I, I recently uh, bought something on eBay. Have you ever done that? Uh, I find it a nerve-wracking experience. It's, um, the process is very easy to use. There's no problem there. But you feel like, you know, 
I don't know who I'm buying from. When I go to Target, it's not like I know Mr. Target, but I kind of know what you're going to get. You know what to expect. eBay, you don't know the person. You don't know if they're a criminal. You don't know if the product they're describing to you is really what they're describing to you. And I know there are all sorts of things kind of built into the system uh, to help it go smoothly. But, um, but it, it always just makes me a, a bit nervous. I have this, I have this fear I'm going to be ripped off because I'm going to send my money out there in hopes that somebody, I don't even know their name, is going to send a product in return as described. And, and, and I'm a little nervous about that because I'm giving my money. How do I know I can trust them? Well, that's sort of the issue that the people are facing in Haggai's day. They're struggling to make ends meet. Money was uh, important to them, and rightly so. But there always seemed to be more month than money. And God had promised to them that if they would put him first, he would provide for them, that he would care for them. But they weren't so sure, you know, give the money and then get, you know, God's provision. They weren't so sure. And it wasn't that they were atheists. I mean, they believed in God. They worshiped God. They prayed. They, they did all those things. So, so they believed in God. And if you had asked them, do you have faith in God? They all would have said, yes, we have faith in God. But when it came to this whole issue uh, of giving, they really weren't so sure. And so what God shows us through the prophet Haggai is that the problem with generosity is not an income and an expense problem. It's a faith problem. Do we trust God to care for us? Ultimately, it's an issue of faith. Now, last Sunday, we were in our series on prayer. We looked at 1 Chronicles 29, and in 1 Chronicles 29, King David uh, gives generously to the construction of the temple. In fact, he prays this prayer. He says, God, I cannot believe you have blessed me so richly that I am able to give so much. But David was not allowed to build the temple. And so David's son Solomon builds the temple, and he builds it in around 960 B.C. And the people of Israel worship there at that temple for about 300 years. And so they're there for about 300 years. And so they had God as their protector. But then they started turning away from God and began to worship false gods. And without God as their protector, they were sitting ducks. So around 600 B.C., the Babylonians invade, and they start taking people off into captivity. And then in the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians completely destroy the city of Jerusalem, destroy that beautiful temple that Solomon had built, that David had given so generously to construct, and they leave it so that there's no longer one stone left upon another. 586. Well, then the, uh, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and under the Persian Empire, the Emperor Cyrus issued this decree that said that the Israelites were free to go back to their homeland, return to their homeland, and rebuild the temple. This is an amazing thing. The nation had been wiped out, and now suddenly it's being reconstituted once again. And so many of the people went back uh, to rebuild the temple. Uh, and, uh, but they faced some very severe opposition. And by the time Haggai arrived, uh, it had been 16 years since the people had returned, and the temple is still in ruins. It, it's, still, it's still a mess. And, uh, and from this letter, Haggai is addressing this very issue. And we can discover how to be generous givers, not so that we can build a temple with brick and stone, but a living temple 
the temple which is God's church. So the first reason we see for generous giving is that generosity is an act of love. Generosity is an act of love. Now, when the Israelites first returned to Israel, you can imagine the scene. They go back. They get to their, their homeland, and I guess many of them had never seen it because it had been 70 years. And they get back to their land, and it is a city in ruins. It has been devastated by warfare. And so, of course, they have to construct places to live. And so they, they build for themselves homes and uh, places where they can live as they begin the construction of the temple. But remember, the reason they were going back was to rebuild the temple. That was the reason for the return. It's been 16 years, and uh, their homes are built, but God's house lies in ruins. And whenever someone would suggest, you know, maybe we ought to get about building this temple, they'd say, you know, we need to do that. I mean, someday we need to do that. That's really important, but it's just not the right time yet. It's not the right time to get about it. And so on the one hand, they had plenty of money to fix up their houses, but they did not have any money or time to fix up God's house. And this is what God is calling them out about. And it's not just that they're building houses. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, we read that they were living in paneled houses while God's house still lies in ruins. Now, Paneled houses, that may not mean a lot to you. That means they have uh, the really nice countertops, the nice furniture, the, the deluxe sink. Paneled houses, that word paneling, was the word that was used for the construction of Solomon's temple for the opulence of the interior. So in other words, they're not just building houses. They are building parade of home houses. That's what they're building. And yet the house of God is still there lying in ruins. And the great offense to this is that the people keep putting off the building of the temple. They don't have the money for that, and yet they have the money to live in, in opulent homes. They, they put their personal peace and affluence above the glory of God. Now, now here's the great offense. The great offense is that Israel, is, is by not building the temple, it shows what they think of God. It's, um, it's like telling your children, you know, son, I know you need new shoes for school, but, but we just cannot afford them right now. Hey, do you mind getting my golf bag and putting it into the car? I've got a game here at 4 o'clock. You know, that's what it comes across like. It comes across like, no, I don't have money for you, but of course I have plenty of money for me. You know, that's a different budget item, right? Uh, you know, Bob Costas, you know the Bob, Bob Costas, the sportscaster? Bob Costas talks about what it was like growing up in his home. He said his dad was funny, his dad was charming, his dad could tell stories that regale you for hours, but his dad would go and he would spend the rent money on gambling on baseball. His dad would say he loved his children. If you asked him if he cared about his family, he'd say, I love them, they're precious to me. But he didn't put his money where his mouth was. He spent his money on himself rather than on his children which shows his love. Now, I'm sure uh, that is how the Israelites felt. They love God. They worship God. After all, their country, I mean, think about this. Their country had been wiped out, devastated. And God had rescued them miraculously, just as he said he would, by the way. And it brought them back to their homeland, restored their land to them. He'd, he'd, he'd given them generously so that they could rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And, uh, and yet uh, they were able to rebuild their houses. But God's house was still in ruins. They saw God's grace, 
but they didn't respond to his grace. For us today, God has done far more than rescue us out of captivity to Babylon. Christian, think about this. Think about who you were and where you are. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians. Says he, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, we once were captives in Babylon, much worse than Babylon, and God has rescued us out and brought us into his own family, brought us in to be children of God. We are forgiven. We're loved by the beloved. And all of this is not a result of our works, but it's simply a result of God's free grace. And so we do not give in order to purchase the love of God. We are already loved by God. He has shown his grace to us. We give in response to his grace. And here's the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. We do not obey, uh, and we do not give, and we do not serve in order to put God into our debt. We do not do these things in order to merit his favor. Rather, we give, and we obey, and we serve because we've been showered with the grace of God. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Of course you remember the Ten Commandments. Do you remember how the Ten Commandments begin? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Here's what God says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you see the principle here? God doesn't say, listen, if you want me to rescue you, then you need to obey. He says, no, no, no. I am the God who saved you, who delivered you as an act of grace, as an act of kindness, something you did not deserve. I've shown my love to you. And because I've loved you and shown that I love you, you can trust me enough to obey me. And so, so obedience and giving is a response to God's grace. Now in the Old Testament, the temple was the house of God. It was the visible representation of God's presence among his people. And not only that, the temple was the place where even the other nations were to come and to worship God. It was a light to the world. That's, that was the court of the Gentiles surrounded the temple. It was the place where, where God's glory was to be shown on earth. Well, today, we no longer have a need for the temple. Jesus has made the, the temple uh, by his life and his death, he's made the temple irrelevant, uh, un, uh, no longer uh, needed by us because Jesus has uh, done everything that the temple did. But God has a new temple, and the temple that God is building now is his church. First Peter tells us that we are the temple of God, that we are living stones being built into a, a spiritual house, not a temple with brick and stone, but a temple with people. And God is building that temple. And when we look around now, we don't see uh, God's temple lying in ruins, but we do see a temple that is unfinished. The work is not yet done. It is incomplete. It's kind of like when you go up Voyager and you get there across a new life. You know what I'm talking about? The building that's been there under construction for what, last 30, 40, 50, I don't know, just forever. It's incomplete, it's unfinished, it's not done. And the work needs to be completed. And just as the people of Haggai's day were called to sacrificial giving so that God's glory could shine throughout the world, we today are called to sacrificial giving for the same purpose. So that God could build his church, his church comprised of people from every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity. The prophet Habakkuk says, 
that one day the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as water covers the sea. That's the, that's the prophecy. That prophecy is going to come true. It is absolutely certain. And God calls us as his people to share in that great work. We get to participate in it. And so we give because we want people to know about the glory of God. Don't you want young moms struggling with children, raising those kids to come to a place and hear and to know about God's grace in their lives? I mean, you want that, right? Okay, uh, yes. Uh, don't you want, as you look and you hear about what's going on in the border and what's going on in our country, and you think about, about the Burkempers and the Rudds and, and the Craigs that are there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and planting churches so the people's lives can be transformed by the gospel. Don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see the, the high school students and the middle school students in our community who are, are being sent with so many bombarding, crazy messages about what life is all about, about human sexuality, about, about just the meaning and purpose? Don't you want them to know the good news of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't you want that? Of course you do. Of course you do. We want to see God's glory fill the earth. We want to see the temple built so that the knowledge of God covers the earth as waters covers the sea. Just the people of Haggai's day, they needed to see the temple built. We want to give towards the building of God's temple here and throughout the world because God has allowed us to be a part of this great work he's doing. So we give as an act of love. We give as an act of worship because we want God's glory to shine throughout the earth. But giving is not only an act of love. Giving is also, and generosity, is an act of faith. It takes faith to be generous. Now, if you'd asked the people of Haggai's day why they had not rebuilt the temple, they would have simply said, you know, I would love to give. I, I just can't afford to give. That, that would have been uh, the answer. Uh, but what Haggai points out is that they have it backwards. The reason that they cannot afford to give is not because they, they have so little. The reason they have so little is because they're not giving. They say they're not giving because they have little money. God says the reason they have so little money is because they're not giving. Look at verse 6. Uh, this is an astounding verse. He says, you have sown much and harvest little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You, you clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You ever feel that way? You know, it's a, you, know, you feel like you're putting money in your pocket and it's just going out holes. I always think about, when I think about holes in the pocket, I think about uh, doing weddings and tuxedo pants oftentimes have little holes in the pocket so you can pull your shirt down. And oftentimes the, the best man will be given the ring uh, to, uh, to give. And he'll put it, and I always tell don't put it in your pocket if you're wearing tux. Because, you know, all of a sudden you'll hear this little jingle at some point in the service. But you feel that way with your money, right? Like, I'm working. I'm working hard. I'm making money. Where is it? And that's what was happening to the people of Haggai's day. They were, they were losing their money as fast as they were making it. Uh, there, there was never, uh, never enough. And God explains why. Look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I, that is God, I'm the one who blew it all away. I'm the reason you don't have enough money, God says. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins 
while each of you busies himself with his own house. Wow. God says the reason your finances are such a mess is because each of them busies himself with his own house while God's house lies in ruins. Again, do you see the reversal? We think if I had more money, I would give. God says, however, if you would give, you would have more money. It's the principle of the first fruits. Now, the first fruits offering was an Old Testament offering. What the Israelites were supposed to do at harvest time is they're to take their harvest and the first fruits, the first that they get, they take that and offer it to the Lord. Now, here's the scary thing about that. You're offering your first fruits, but, what, but there's not a second fruits, right? I mean, you don't know what the harvest is going to be like yet. And yet you're giving your first fruits. Well, what's happened in Haggai's day and in our day, we replace the first fruits offering with the leftover offering. You know, the first fruits is where you give your first fruits. You give what's first. What Haggai's people were doing, and we're doing today oftentimes, is we'll d- go through, and once we cover all of our expenses, then if anything is left over, then we will give. And, and God says we have this reversed. We're not supposed to be giving a leftover offering. We're to be giving a, a first fruits offering. And so uh, now I realize as we, we, we look at this, that, uh, uh, that this teaching by God uh, has been grace, greatly distorted uh, today uh, by many in the church, particularly by uh, these proponents of what is known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It is, it is a trap. It is a path to slavery. It is a path to bondage. The prosperity gospel uh, says something like this, often promoted by televangelists. It says, if you give God money, he's obligated to give it back to you 10 or 100 fold. And so if you, so say it's a best investment scheme you can come up with. Give to me, televangelists, and, and, and you give me the money, and God's going to bless you 10, 100 fold, and this is going to be the way that you get rich in, uh, in giving that way. Well, if you're giving your money with the desire to get rich, rather than as an act of worship, that is, if you're giving for your own glorification, that's what desire to get rich is, your own glorification, rather than for God's glory, you're really not worshiping God, you're using God. Uh, You know, if, if you give someone a gift with the hope that they give you something in return, there's a word for that, it's called a bribe. That's not a gift. If you give someone a gift so that they will do something for you, it is bribery. And God is not a God who can be bought. Uh, That's not love. That's manipulation. And by the way, this applies to all relationships. Oftentimes people will do things in in marriage and in friendships, and they think it's like this quid pro quo deal. I'm going to give this to you. You do this. I scratch your back. You scratch mine. That's not love. That's not love. Love is when you give. Love is when you serve. Love is when you, you desire to see the other person's glory to be greater than your own. You're, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about them. And so, so the, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel because it's an attempt to manipulate God. The true gospel, on the other hand, is this. And as God says, I am caring for you. I am providing for you. I am watching out over you. And the question is, do you trust me? That's the question. Do you trust me enough to do what I say? Do you trust me enough to obey my commandments? Do you trust me enough to give your life in service? Do you trust me enough to give of your finances? 
the, the, the gospel says live by faith. Trust God with your life. And here's what's going to happen when you trust God. You're gonna find that he's trustworthy. When we trust God with our life, when we trust God with our money, we find that he's trustworthy. The true gospel is not where we do things in an attempt to earn the Father's blessing. The true gospel is where you live your life in faith that Jesus has already earned the Father's blessings for you and the Father delights to pour out his blessing on his children. Now having said that, the Bible is pretty clear that God blesses generosity. He just does. God blesses generosity. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, here's the word again, first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God says, if you will live by faith, you're gonna find that I'm gonna take care of you. We see the same idea in Malachi chapter three where God tells the people that if they would tithe, if they would give 10% of their income uh, to, to him, that he would open up the windows of heaven, pouring down blessings so that there was no longer any more need. God says, if you will trust me, you're gonna find that I'm trustworthy. Again, this is not the, uh, the prosperity gospel. Rather, the point is when we trust God to live generous lives, when we trust God enough even to, to reduce our lifestyle so that we can give generously, God has a habit of providing for his people. This is why giving is an act of faith. You're trusting God enough to obey and trusting that he will care for you. I hesitate to say this, but I want to add my personal testimony to the word of God. The word of God's true regardless of what my personal testimony is, right? It's just true. But I can say I know this also from experience. Uh, Trisha and I, 33 years ago, when we got married, we made a commitment. We were always going to tithe. We were always going to give 10% of our income uh, to, to our local church. And building campaigns and missions and other missionaries we would support would be over and above that. But we were always going to give at least that 10%. And now, at first, it was pretty easy. I was a graduate student. She worked for a ministry. We had no money, hardly. She wasn't making much. 10% of nothing is nothing. Uh, and so, you know, it's not that hard. And, uh, but uh, then I became a, a youth pastor. And uh, we were making the big bucks then. And, um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, a little bit more, and it was fine. Our, our income was low. Our expenses were low. It just really wasn't that, that much of a challenge for us at that point. Uh, and then we had our first kid. And uh, all of a sudden, the expenses go up. And then a year after we had a first kid, we went to start a new church. And my salary as a church planter was lower than my salary as a youth pastor. And so now I got more expenses, less money. And then a couple years later, we had kid number two. And a few years later, kid number three. And uh, the church was doing very well, but finances of the church were always extremely tight. And so our salary was uh, always a little bit on the, on the light side. But we said we're going to live by faith. We're going to tithe. We're going to do this. We're, you know, we're, we're, it's, and it's going to be tight. Now, I have to be honest. There are times I got quite angry with God about this. At times, I, I, I look and go, I don't know how this is working. And there are times when I even thought this, true confessions, your pastor's a sinner, uh, is, uh, is I, I thought, God, I'm doing my part. I don't see where you're doing your part here because I'm giving and I've got these expenses, and I don't know how it's going to work out. And I would get, I literally would get angry at God. But we decided we we're going to live 
by faith, not how I was feeling at the moment. And my faith is that God's word is true and that his promises are true. And so I'm going to live as if his promises are true, even though I don't feel like his promises are true. Do you get the difference? I'm going to live by what I profess I believe and what I believe. And so we continue to do this. And here's what we've seen year after year. There have been times when it's been incredibly stressful. And yet God provided every single time. Every single time. And, and, and we can look back and we've talked to our kids about this because, you know, they had no idea. And now they're grown. We're saying, you know, here's what we've learned about God's faithfulness. And I hope you will learn about God's faithfulness is that if you are faithful and, and, and giving to him, you're going to find that he is trustworthy. He, he's done things for us that are beyond what we ever expected or anticipated. Now, I'm not saying if you give, you will get rich. That has not been my experience. Uh, I am saying if you give, God is going to provide for you. And the question is, are you willing to live by faith? Are you living, willing to live by faith and to trust in God's provision? So here's the question. Do you love God? Christian, I know you do. I know you do. I know you want to see his glory spread throughout the earth. And I know that's why many of you give so incredibly, amazingly generously. You long to see his name praised. And so then there's a second question. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough that instead of giving him your leftovers, you'll give to him of your first fruits, and that you'll trust that he will provide for you? Will you trust in God, your Father, the provider? Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you are a generous God. I know that not only from experience, I know that even more because you have told us this in your word, and you do not lie. So, Lord, I pray that you would grant us the faith to live as if you are a truth-telling God, and that what you say in your word is absolutely true. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would lay out our hands, giving to you all that you have given to us, knowing that it belongs to you, and that we would seek to live obediently, faithfully, even joyfully, as we seek to give generously, to see your name made great throughout the world. Lord, we are not paying you back for what you have done for us. We would never insult you in that way. But, oh, Lord, we're so thankful and grateful and delighted that we can be a part of what you're doing. We want others to know. And we want the joy of living by faith and watching how you, our Father, continually provide for your children. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.